Our word of the year is reconciliation. Hear these words of scripture from the gospel of Luke. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. I do think that's funny. Thank you. <laughs> the servant came back and reported this to his master. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done and there is still room. And then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is the word of God and you are the people of God. So there's a family in this community whose young daughters used to call the Grove the Eat Church because this was the church where they ate. They ate at vacation Bible schools and at community meals and at freedom school and they were always excited when their mom said it was time to come. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go up to the eat church. And I love this because Jesus was always eating with people in the gospels. And here this morning, we find him at a feast, at a banquet, and he's teaching and he's giving his host instructions about how to throw a better banquet next time, which is a bold choice. And he's telling a story about a feast at a banquet table, and he has left us with one worship practice that comes directly from Jesus, and that is a feast. It is a banquet, and we're about to gather at that table right now. So I actually think that Jesus had an eat church in mind. And I know that some of us hear that and our hearts are ready, and we think, yes, that's it. And other people will hear it and go, well... That's not the work of the church. I mean, it's fine, but we're about more than eating together. The real work of the church is to save souls and repair the world and get people right with God. And you can think that. 
I used to think that. I still do think that sometimes on the days I'm tired and confused and suffering under the delusion that I am God. But the witness of scripture and the saints and the Holy Spirit is clear. Jesus is the savior of souls and Jesus has repaired the world and Jesus has made humanity right with God. That work is done. And Jesus has given us one thing to do in remembrance of him and one way to proclaim his death and resurrection. And that one thing is a meal, a very specific meal that is rich in truth and power. One meal that is the heart of the whole revelation. He has given it to us and told us to share it in a very particular and peculiar way. And maybe, maybe if we just did what he told us to do, we could live into the truth that our salvation and abundant life are found in what Christ has done for us and not in what we do for Christ. And what Christ has done for us is salvation. And what that looks like is reconciling, making us right with God and reconciling us and making us right with one another. I just told the children that our word for the year is reconciliation. And here is my unapologetically bold declaration. Salvation is reconciliation and reconciliation is is salvation nothing more and this is more challenging nothing less than reconciliation is the salvation of God nothing less than the reconciliation of God to creation and creation to God humanity to God God to humanity and humanity to one another recovering the truth long forgotten that we are children of God that it is God's breath that is in our lungs and that we are our siblings keeper now many of you like me were taught some version of Christianity And let's not confuse being taught a version of Christianity with being taught to follow Christ. Many of us were taught how to be a Christian instead of taught how to follow Christ. As my friend Greg Bentley would say, I wish I had a praying church. Many of you, like me, were taught that salvation is personal. It's between you and God that salvation is grace from Jesus. It's free, but you got to know enough to catch it and keep it. And some will, maybe even many will. But after a time, God's going to gather up the goodly, lovely, neatly angel and perfect. That's a deep cut from Tacky the Penguin, if you know it. (laughs) In time, God's going to gather up the good and worthy and leave everyone else behind and blow up this popsicle stand. In other words, Some will be reconciled to God and some won't. And the big ending is cosmic destruction. That's a whole enchilada. God saves what's worth saving us, obvi, and throws the rest away. Salvation is making things right between a person and God. And it's got nothing to do with relationships between people. 
And it is true that salvation is reconciliation that repairs the relationship that Eve broke when she chose the apple instead of God. It does, and it is, although maybe not in the way we understand it, if we think it's all about Eve and not all about all of us. But salvation is the reconciliation that repairs the fall, repairs the broken trust and relationship that happened in the Garden of Eden. And also, reconciliation and salvation is the repair and restoration of the broken relationship between Cain and Abel which was the next thing to break. Reconciliation repairs the vertical relationships between us and God and also all the horizontal relationships that were immediately warped and shattered when we were separated from God. On the cross, broken relationships with people are what made the cross. On the cross, the myth of redemptive violence that inspired Cain to kill Abel, I know how to fix this, I'll kill that guy and then it'll be fine. That lie is uncovered. It's that same lie that Jesus's enemies used to kill Jesus on the cross. That myth is exposed as an ungodly lie. And on the cross, we see the way of Jesus who resists, subverts, and transforms that evil. Jesus on the cross who is saying, today with me, paradise. Jesus on the cross who is saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The cross at the center of our faith is an instrument of salvation because it is a moment of reconciliation. And you might think like, okay, Pastor Kate, that's an interesting idea. It's not my idea. Scripture is clear and consistent from Genesis 3, when God promises relationship will be repaired through the son of the woman, through all the covenants that God makes with Israel, which are all cosmic in scope, and the voice of all the prophets in Christ, God is reconciling, repairing, and reclaiming creation, and God is with us before we could ever be with God. The power of resurrection gives us new life with God, and that is reconciliation. And the outrageously, offensively stumbling block of God's reconciliation is that it is not reserved for the worthy. The glory of God is specifically revealed in Christ's reconciling with the unworthy, with the unrighteous, with those who are lost in sin. And so that's where you see Paul, who used to be one of those unworthy and unrighteous lost and sin people who was a murderous persecutor of the saints until he was rescued and reconciled to God through Christ. And he says, when he's writing about salvation in Romans chapter five, he says, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by God's wrath through him? For if while we were still God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Far too long, we have 
cheapened grace and lowered the cost of discipleship by preaching and teaching and living as though Christ's reconciling death is only for the righteous and the mostly righteous, only for those who seem worthy in our eyes, preaching and teaching and living as if Christ didn't die for the unrighteous. On the cross, Christ died to redeem, reconcile, and release the unrighteous from the power of the enemy of our souls. On the, Christ, on the cross, Christ died for the unrighteous. Christ died to reconcile evildoers to God. And until you see that and rejoice in that, you don't see Jesus. And if you proclaim anything less than the cross reconciling the unrighteous to God, then you are emptying the cross of its power and glory. You're saying that somebody's sin is bigger and badder and more powerful than the love of God. On the cross, Jesus opened the way of salvation to all God's children, especially the unrighteous. And that's why the cross is a stumbling block and an offense to holy people. And if you're never troubled and offended by the reckless love of the cross, you haven't seen it yet. Salvation is reconciliation of the ungodly to God. And on the cross, Jesus shows us the way of reconciliation. And in Christ, we celebrate and understand what God is doing. We celebrate it. And that's what Paul is teaching in his second letter to the Corinthians in the fifth chapter, starting in verse 16. Paul says to the church, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul is saying, if you are saved by Christ... If Christ is your Lord, then you see and accept and celebrate and participate in Jesus's agenda of salvation. And you don't look at people anymore from your own perspective and agenda. Paul says, looking from that perspective is why we missed what God was doing in Jesus. Because we could only see things through our own human religious perspective. We could only see what seemed right in our own eyes. When God's grace is coming to dwell with us and making a way for everyone to come into right relationship with God. But we didn't see it. It offended us. It looks like blasphemy to us. So now we don't look at people from our perspective. Now we know that if anyone is in Christ, new creation, the old has gone and the new has come. Now, let me be clear. If you're in Christ, the old has gone. You have given up the old ways. The old has gone. The new has come. God reconciled us to Christ and also gave us 
the ministry of reconciliation. God is not counting people's sins against them. God is freeing people from sin. And if we are part of Jesus, then he has committed us to the message and the life and the work of reconciliation. Paul is saying, be reconciled to God. And that means you've got to get on board with God's agenda, God's audacious agenda, and be an ambassador of it or else your false piety your sense of, I can't be with them. They're too evil. They're not part of God's plan. They can never be a part of God. That false piety on your part will unreconcile you to God. Reconciliation of all people and creation to God is God's agenda. And if it isn't yours, then you're not following Jesus. And that's what's happening at this dinner table. Jesus is sitting at the table with the Pharisees and Jesus, who is Jewish, is sitting at a table with Jewish spiritual leaders. He is with his own people because he is for them as much as he is for anybody. And you will understand the gospels better, church. If every time you read the word Pharisee in a gospel, you substitute the word Christian in your mind. He comes to dinner and he tells them, this is really nice, but when you give a dinner, it really shouldn't be this transactional. It shouldn't just be for the people who already belong. It shouldn't just be for your friends and your family and your community members. They'll just invite you back and then your hospitality becomes manners instead of a spiritual practice. It's just a closed circle where you know and love the people you already know and love. No, you should invite the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And when Jesus says blind, he's usually talking about the spiritually blind. They will not be able to repay you. They will not be able to meet your needs. But then you'll be part of God's agenda and it will bless you. And they're like, whatever, rude. And then someone clears his throat and tries to rescue this awkward social situation by saying something that every holy person can agree on. Here's something we all can agree on, right? Blessed is the one who eats at the feast of the kingdom of God. And Jesus is like, clearly you don't think so. Because I just told you how you could be a part of the feast in the kingdom of God right here and right now. I just invited you to make your table a part of God's table here and now. And you looked at me like I pooped in the punch bowl. So let me tell you a story about a man who prepared a great feast and invited many guests. Let them know, I'm going to have a great feast. I'd like you to come. Do you want to come? They said, yes, they RSVP'd. I am honored to sit at your table. I will be blessed to eat at this feast. And so when the time came, when the feast was ready, the host sent his people out to say, okay, it's time. The party you've been waiting for is ready. The table is set. Come and take your reserved seats. And the guest said, oh gosh, I really wanted to come, but I just got a new field and I need to go and see to it. Please excuse me. I just got five new yoke of oxen. I really need to try them out. No offense. I just got married. You understand. It's just not a good time right now. And when he finally gets the news, the host says to his servants, go out and search and find the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind and bring them in and then go out into the roads and find strangers and compel them to be in because my house will be full. But those who were invited and didn't come, they're not going to have a seat at the table. Do you see who is at the table, church? Do you see who does come to the table? It's all the people, the exact people that Jesus has just told his host to invite next time. 
because God is setting a reconciling table in the kingdom of salvation. And all those who were left out and passed over and despised are invited in and included. That is God's agenda. And God's people, the righteous and the insiders and the blessed and the highly favored, they are invited. And they accept the invitation. Oh, yes, I am a guest. I am glad to be there. But when the time comes to come to the table, they had other things they wanted to do more. And these other things they wanted to do more, please notice, they're other good things. They didn't say, I'm sorry, I'll pass. I got to go watch porn. I got to go embezzle money. I got to go idol worship. No, these guys are saying, I'm with you. Your banquet is a priority, but I have to take care of my blessings. I have other equally important things to do other than be your guest at your agenda. It would mean risking my business opportunities, cutting my profit margin, putting my family second. I'm not going to do that. And a few things are clear to me in this story. The banquet table is a metaphor for salvation for life in the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is telling us is that God includes and centers the last and the least and the lost and the left out. The broken ones, the ones who have been broken by life are invited in and welcomed. And if you're not interested in sharing your life now with the poor and the prisoner and the oppressed, not in saving, not in fixing people, but if you're not interested in sharing your life and having communion with the people that God welcomes into the kingdom of God, then you're not interested in the holiness of God. The last and the least and the lost and the left out, when they got invited, they had a huge advantage because they know for sure that there is nothing this world has to offer that is better than the invitation they have just received into salvation. But the holy and the full and the prosperous and the righteous and the blessed, they were easily seduced by the enemy of our souls to believe that there are other things that can save us, that there are other places to find life, that there are better tables to show up for. And Jesus is making it clear in this parable, God has an agenda and we are invited to be a part of it, but you can't have everything. You can have salvation. You can have a seat, but it will cost you the excellence and abundance and values that the world offers as an alternative. It will cost you the life that winners get in this world. And Jesus parable makes it clear The way of God is the narrow way. And at times you will have to choose over the wide appealing way to show up on the narrow way. And God will give you the dignity of your choices. No one is compelled to come to the table of God. And also no one is prevented. As the song says, the way is narrow, but there's room for everyone on it. In Christ, the unworthy and the unwelcome find a place, salvation, and new life in God. And if you are opposed to that, then you are opposed to God. You cannot be in right relationship with God if you object to other invited guests at God's table. Salvation is reconciliation. And if you don't get that, if you're too holy and righteous to celebrate the salvation of an unworthy soul, then you're standing in opposition to the will and way of Almighty God. God is a reconciler. 
This table is now and always will be the place where what divides us from God and one another is overcome by the love of God. Salvation is reconciliation. And we, if we are a people of the way, then are a people who believe in and want and long for and work for reconciliation. At this table, everyone can come as their own whole and holy self and find welcome and acceptance and life and newness. That's the truth that we eat and drink at this table, and it is the truth that we become by God's grace at this table.